Welcome to the Thrive Podcast from Syngenta, where the latest news, farming tips, and innovations come together to educate and inspire. Good morning, Thrive Podcast listeners. Um, We're here with Trip Walker this morning. He's an agronomic service representative with Syngenta based out of Mississippi. So Trip, thanks for being here today. I would love to just get a little bit of background on you and um, have you tell our audience just a little bit more about you. Sure. So yeah, I'm Trip Walker. I live in Starkville, Mississippi, which is uh, where Mississippi State University is located. I'm kind of on the very eastern edge of Mississippi, but I'm responsible for the entire state of Mississippi as well as North Alabama. Uh, I started out on the on the seed side as an NK sales rep, then went through the integration process and uh, uh, service both crop protection and seed for a while, and then and then rotated into uh, the agronomy role. And I think I've been doing this now for about six years. So six years, you've probably seen just a lot of all different areas and in, in different crops, um, especially across the whole state of Mississippi and a little bit of Alabama. Um, so specifically today, we're going to kind of dig into weeds and weed management and herbicide resistant weeds um, and how growers can kind of take that multifaceted approach. But I just wanted to kind of start off by getting your insight on what trends you've seen in the in the last couple of years regarding, you know, when when weeds appear and how heavy those populations are. Yeah. So as far as trends and what I've seen um, as far as weeds and when they occur and maybe differences there, um, one thing that does come to mind, and this is going to be more more driven by the environment, but we've had particularly wet, cool springs the last two or three years. Um, and one of the things that we deal with here in the Mid-South is, uh, of course, we have weeds that emerge in the fall or what we describe as winter annuals, and, and they're triggered by um, soil temperatures beginning to moderate. In other words, going from sort of a summer pattern more to more of a fall or winter pattern, it triggers those species to emerge. And so they're really based on, you know, the, the daylight shortening and, and getting cooler cooler nighttime temperatures that those, those weeds trigger. Take, for example, um, Italian ryegrass that comes up in the fall. Um, we, we oftentimes see emergence continuing into the springtime. And some of that's triggered by what, I, what I'm talking about here is kind of that cool, wet pattern that sort of lingers into the spring as we get into our planting season. Of course, here in the Mid-South, you know, we obviously start planting much earlier than other parts of the country. We can even plant crops as early as late February. So um, it's not unusual to see some, some overlap in there from an environmental standpoint. And I have seen uh, some of the winter annual species seem to be have, a, have evolved into where we see a lot of spring emergence. So uh, Italian ryegrass being one of those, uh, mare's tail would be another one. And of course, those create challenges for us as we're trying to get a crop in the ground because we're still dealing with weeds that are emerged at the time that we're trying to plant, if it's if it's a scenario where we're not planning on doing any tillage. Uh, so that's one thing that I've seen um, that, that would be kind of noted as far as a shift or, or something I've seen driven by the weather. Yeah, it sounds like there's a lot to consider. So you know, going into planning um, for the season, you know, ahead, how much of weed management strategy is built around that resistance? Uh, I'd say a tremendous amount. And, and one of the things that, that is kind of a some list you hate to be at the top of, but Mississippi, unfortunately, is when we talk about the number of species of herbicide resistant weeds, I believe we have 13 different species in the state of Mississippi that have been confirmed. Uh, by the Weed Science Society of America as as herbicide resistant. Some of those are resistant to multiple uh, classes of herbicide chemistry. So, because of that, and of course, Palmer amaranth is is at the is at the heart of that. Um, we just we deal with a tremendous amount of pressure being along the uh, the Mississippi River, you know, kind of floodplain. Even though we've got levee systems there, there's still ways where we can get weed seed moving in, in flood conditions and things of that nature. So we we deal with a pretty widespread, um, you know, geography there. I've already mentioned several of those. 
So because of that, you know, you really have to have to be uh, keeping that in mind as you begin to select uh, various herbicide chemistries. You know, obviously you're not going to use something that we know is resistant, but but with that in mind, we've got to try to uh, plan around that. So yeah, it's it's at, it's at the very forefront of of, the, of our of our system as we begin to design one to try to attack those those various weeds. So that sounds like it's a really big challenge for growers um, in your in your area. Are there any weeds that don't seem to show like quote unquote true resistance, but just seem really you know tough to control comparatively? Um, and if so, you know what what are those factors that you feel like lead into that? We have a landscape adoption there of that technology. Uh, and of course, the dicamba piece—that's a broadleaf herbicide. It has it doesn't have any grass activity, uh, so therefore we would have to we'd have to dress emerged grasses uh, when we're making trips across the field. With the significance of like all these weeds that are tough to control, these grasses that are you know harder to control, what overall impact does all of this have on the health of the crop, the yield of the crop? Talk me through kind of like what does this mean for growers? So obviously, you know weed competition is what we're trying to avoid. I mean, so, and, and particularly early in the season, it's probably the most critical time to try to maintain what we, as a weed science, we would describe as a weed-free uh, environment there. Of course, it's difficult to, to have 100% weed-free scenarios, but we can get very close to that if we use uh, the proper herbicide chemistries and timing them properly and combining the proper AIs and overlapping residuals and doing all the things that we, that we describe. Uh, when we talk about managing weeds, you know, in a system, um, so yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it can be very detrimental if, uh, and I, and I can give you some scenarios and this is just real world. This happens in, in the mid South quite often. I mean, we'll go out here and let's say we use some sort of spring burn down and we put out a pre-emerge in that application. Um, if we don't get rainfall to activate those, those pre-emerge herbicides or the herbicides that are contained in that tank mix that have soil activity, uh, we can actually have enough moisture in the soil profile to yet let have uh, both crops and weeds still emerge. So that's not un- uncommon. We may have a, a dry window where we go that may 10 days without a rainfall event and we can actually see weed emerge. So, you know, even in the best laid plans, you know, we can have Mother Nature, um, you know, working against us there just strictly because we didn't get the timing of those rainfall events. So, um, and that puts us in a scenario where we've got, basically we've got weed competition right there with the crop. And so those are obviously the things we're trying to avoid because we, we can see some pretty good yield effects uh, just by the weeds being emerging with the crop there. Uh, and then two, you know, when, we, when we're making post-emerge applications and we're spraying maybe weeds that have gotten a little too big or things of that nature, that's how we select for herbicide resistance because we're effectively not uh, getting 100% control of those plants. Their annual plant species, if they survive, they're still going to produce seed. Now, they may not be resistant in that particular ger- uh, generation, but they might be in subsequent ones because you've essentially, you've raised the level of tolerance to whatever that herbicide is that, that, that survived that application. So the reason why we would want to uh, have a system both pre's and post is so that we can eliminate the early weed competition and avoid having salvage type treatments when we do make a post-emerge application. That makes sense. Um, so you, you kind of mentioned the seed bank and, and this weed seed. So how much time is spent um, trying to manage that seed bank for the next season? Or, you know, what does that process look like? You know, uh, the soil seed bank, of course, as a weed scientist, that's a, that's a critical piece of, of, of how we transition from one crop year to the next and, and what how, how good a job we do managing weeds. And, of course, I'll use the term zero tolerance a lot. And, and I, I will be, be the first one to tell you that most growers are really not prepared to adopt a true zero tolerance. But and for one thing, we just don't have the labor. And, and like say, for instance, we 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 have some sort of crop that we that we have some weed escape 
And, and we see those out in the field growing maybe up above the crop canopy as we get later in the season and we're, we're busy irrigating and doing other things and we just don't take the time to go out there and, and either remove those plants or do some kind of tillage or some sort of practice where we can you know eliminate the, the ability for that seed to fall on the ground and contribute to the soil seed bank, then, then that's a problem because it does create uh, something that you got to deal with again next year. And not only that, uh, for years to come, you take weeds, uh, weed seed like Palmer amaranth. Uh, research has shown it, it's pretty much viable for three years. Uh, you know, even if you you know do anything but uh, just try to manage it in crop and then still have some that you've carried over from one season to the next, that seed is viable for up to three years. So, uh, again, you're dealing with multiple scenarios there where you're still going to be dealing with that same weed species if you don't eliminate its ability to contribute to the seed bank there. That's what I was thinking when you were saying that, of having to hand wheat, like hand go through and, you know, take everything out. I was like, holy cow, if you have like a 200 acre farm even, or like a 50 acre farm even, like that's that's just a lot of work. Um, and it just takes so much time. Well, and it, and it really kind of drives the, the, the dependency on herbicide management because people obviously are looking for some alternative to that. And it's, and it's one of the reasons why, We've developed so much herbicide resistance because we have leaned so heavily on taking some sort of compound, putting it in a, a commercial sprayer, and being able to make that application across multiple acres in a day. Uh, it's not uncommon in our commercial settings here where a grower might spray, he might spray a thousand acres in a day if he's got multiple sprayers. Uh, so, I mean, we can be, we can really get across some ground doing it that way. But again, you know, it, it, it's out of convenience to where a grower can actually just put something in the tank. And the expectation is that if there's a weed out there, then that herbicide, once it's applied correctly, is going to control that weed. We've got all this various herbicide resistance that's been confirmed. So it, it's, it's complicated. It's not it's not an easy. There's no silver bullets. There's no there's no oh I got this product that's going to be the next thing. You know, that you don't have to worry about anything else. This is it. Because weeds, and this is just Mother Nature at her finest, you know, are constantly evolving and trying to withstand, you know, stresses and resistance and all these different things. What would you recommend then as key components to an effective weed management strategy? When we start off clean, we, we, we use some sort of spring burn down to establish our crop and use herbicides that have soil activity. That would be where you pre-emerge those herbicides into that category. So they're applied before the crop emerges but they essentially prevent weed seed from germinating in a lot of cases. And of course, by doing that, it allows the crop to come up again. The other thing is, is that when we don't allow weeds to emerge, you know, they're not as likely to develop resistance. So resistance to me, it can be metabolic and it can occur even in a soil applied scenario, but it's much less likely where we see a lot of our herbicide resistance in the past. The pattern has been we've made some sort of post-emerge application and we've, we've not been effective in actually controlling the weed that we were targeting. Maybe that weed was too big. Maybe we didn't get good coverage. Maybe it was drought stress. You know, that maybe the sprayer went down to the field with the boom too high. Maybe the wind was blowing and it drifted the material offline. But no matter what the case is, we've selected those herbicides have been then selected for resistance. So with that in mind, that pre-emergence herbicide becomes really critical because it eliminates the weeds from being able to be selected with the post application. At least that's by design. That's what we would like to see. We use these pre-emerge herbicides and there's three to four weeks of residual control. In an ideal world, then we come with the post-emerge application and overlap those where we have some sort of component in that post application that also gives us additional residual. That's how we prevent weeds from emerging and then having to deal with selection pressure and that, things of that nature. So pre-component in there is probably at the foundation of that. So we want to we make sure that that's, that's at, the very, you know, at the top of our list. And that totally 
totally makes sense. You want to get them before they emerge, but then there are options, you know, should they emerge. Um, so what herbicide products and strategies then have been most productive on growers' farms that you've seen firsthand? Like what what kind of management strategies or herbicide products would you recommend? You know, uh, one thing, and of course, you know, working for Syngenta, I get to see our technology, obviously, from a formulation standpoint, we do an outstanding job of really bringing tools to the marketplace to give growers the options that they need to really kind of manage through and navigate this all this uh, resistance and things that I've talked about. It. And, at the, and at the heart of that is herbicide premixes. So rather than having to try to figure out what individual products he's going to tank mix in the tank, We've essentially created premix herbicides that have more than one mode of action. And, you know, what I've seen that's been the most successful is our premix herbicides that have more than one component premixed in the formulation. And in a lot of cases, it's two and three components premixed in, a, in, a, in, in one formulation. It's somewhat resistance management in the jug because we do have multiple modes of action represented in some of the premix formulations. Products like Acuron. Uh, we just launched a new pre-emerge herbicide, Tendovo, and soybeans. Um, it has three different modes of action. And then uh, Acuron has four different uh, components, three different modes of action. So, you know, those are the types of things that I've seen most successful uh, because it does give a grower um, that option that he's, that he's essentially doing it as he mixes and puts the product in the tank uh, from the formulation as it's already produced uh, from Syngenta. So that those are the products that I've seen have the most success. I know the girls are have been excited about um, some of those new herbicide products from Syngenta recently, especially Tendovo. Last thing, I just wanted to kind of give you the opportunity to, you know, share anything that you haven't already said, or if there's anything else you want to leave with our audience, just wanted to give you the space to kind of say anything else that you wanted to share um, that I haven't already asked. Yeah. I, you know, I think the biggest thing is just, um, I, I, I hadn't mentioned this one, but when we talk about, you know, design and weed control programs, you know, growers really need to be um, really making decisions based on weed pressure and and species that are present on a field by field basis. So as, as much as anything, it's just really getting out in your fields and knowing what are your target species. You know, so when we talk about design and weed control programs, we really need to know, you know, who who are we fighting? You know, what what weeds do we really need to be focused on? And then, you know, reach out to, to your agronomist or your local reps or whatever to, to our extension. You know, we've got great extension people here at Mississippi State that can help you navigate through these things. But essentially, start talking about soil types changing, you know, uh, in some cases, slope, you know, uh, cropping histories. You know, maybe you rented a farm that someone else had been farming, you know, so you need to kind of go back into that, you know, into the history book there and kind of find out what, what was been going on there. Maybe you ask a neighbor if you're not familiar with who rented it in the past. I mean, there's a lot of information that can be that can be gleaned from this process before we ever even, you know, make our first application in the field or, or make a crop selection as to what crops we're going to try to raise there, because it certainly can be impacted by the by those things that we're talking about. Uh, and then just be comprehensive in your approach. I mean, like I've already stated, you know, don't if something's really working well, don't get hung up and, and overuse it. You know, if it's uh, you got some herbicide that's your favorite product, you know, maybe you consider rotating it to some other chemistry just to just to maintain the, the stewardship of that product that you're that you feel like you've had really good luck with so that it continues to work for you as you move forward. I've been in the business long enough. I've seen a lot of this stuff, you know, just trait. Uh, options and herbicides and insect tolerance and things of that nature, you know, there's all kinds of things that growers have access to that are um, improving the way that they farm. And, you know, I'm just saying embrace all of those things and use all the tools you've got at your disposal. Yeah, that was a really um, concise and well-said way of kind of wrapping it up and hitting all those key points and, and reminding growers to work with their trusted advisors and 
um, make comprehensive plans and, and know your fields and know, know the pressures that you have. So thank you for sharing all that. Sure. You know, Adam, talking about weeds and herbicide-resistant weeds and the options available to growers really does bring to mind our Grow More Experience sites that Syngenta puts on. Yeah, I, I know we've just talked about it before, but some of the Grow More Experience sites in the Midwest, like Illinois, Iowa, Nebraska, and whatnot, but talking with Trip Walker really brings up the fact that Syngenta has Grow More Experience sites all over the country. Right, like the Northwest, Southeast, Southwest, you name it, which is really great because especially at this point in the season when we're seeing that insect and disease pressure, growers can visit one of these sites and see, okay, this product worked pretty well for this insect, but I noticed this one works better. We love to see a see before you buy site. So listeners, that's your homework. Visit a Grow More Experience site this season. Ooh, I love that. Yes, we're giving you a bit of homework, except it's, <laughs> it's fun homework. It's like a field trip that everybody loved taking in elementary school. And how often do you get that as an adult? And so to make it more fun, if you visit a site, take a picture, post it on social media. We want to see you. Selfies, I promise, are still in. Um, but with that, we'll see you next episode. Thank you for listening to The Thrive Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, Please subscribe to receive the latest updates in your favorite podcast listening platform. Always read and follow label instructions. Acuron is a restricted use pesticide.